Welcome to the ADHD Women's Wellbeing Podcast. I'm Kate Moore Youssef, and I'm a wellbeing and lifestyle coach, EFT practitioner, mum to four kids, and passionate about helping more women to understand and accept their amazing ADHD brains. After speaking to many women just like me and probably you, I know there is a need for more health and lifestyle support for women newly diagnosed with ADHD. In these conversations, you'll learn from insightful guests, hear new findings and discover powerful perspectives and lifestyle tools to enable you to live your most fulfilled, calm and purposeful life wherever you are on your ADHD journey. Here's today's episode. Today we have um, a fantastic guest actually from Sweden. I think it's your our first Swedish guest. So we've got Dr. Lotta Borg Skogland here and I'm so excited to have Dr. Skogland here because she is a associate professor in psychiatry at the Department of Women's and Children's Health at Uppsala University. She's also an affiliated researcher at the Department of Clinical Neuroscience at Karolinska Institute. And her scientific work and the research targets the intersection of ADHD and comorbidity conditions such as substance use disorders, personality disorders and mood disorders, as well as the very well-known gender discrepancies and hormonal factors associated with neurodiversity and ADHD, something that we're going to be talking about today. And Lotta's current research involves adverse psychiatric and reproductive outcomes among child, adolescent and adult psychiatry gynecology and social sciences, focusing on females with ADHD across the lifespan. This is fascinating for the podcast and um, more specifically, her research explores how sex hormones, hormonal contraceptives and sexual risk-taking in girls and women interact with specific ADHD traits, symptom severity and comorbid conditions. I wanted to make sure we got all of that bio here because there's so much in that already and what you're researching. And just off, you know, off camera before we were saying that things are beginning to move, we're starting to see traction. And all this that we just, you know, I just mentioned in your amazing bio is something that we see anecdotally. I'm seeing it in my practice. You must have seen it clinically, you know, for many, many years. And finally, it's at the forefront of of conversations, not enough, but it's, it's there. And just before we get talking, you have also just written a fantastic new book that has been written in lots of different languages. You can buy it everywhere. It's called ADHD Girls to Women Getting on the Radar. Let's talk and we'll carry on talking about all the other things that you're involved in, such as Letter Life as well. So Lotta, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Kate. It's uh, it's a real pleasure to be here. And I'm a huge fan, of course, of your (laughs) podcast. I've I've told you that before. So it's a... uh, it's an honor and it's a pleasure, and I really look forward to it. Yeah, I mean, there is there's so much to talk about here. Um, maybe we can just begin with the fact that you've been diagnosed with ADHD, and you not only are you um, a psychiatrist, um, you're a researcher, you're an author, you're also a mother. You understand ADHD from so many different angles, and I was doing some research on you, and you you come from a, a family of psychiatrists, and What's interesting is that even though you were from a family of psychiatrists, still the ADHD in women wasn't really on the radar. I mean, how old were you when you were diagnosed? And I guess how old were you when you began understanding how to manage your own ADHD? 
Yeah, that's really interesting because I was kind of caught off guard uh, talking about this in, in a previous uh, podcast last week and not not off guard because I didn't want to talk about it because I was diagnosed for, you know, ages ago. So, so I'm not that interested in my own ADHD anymore, basically. So I was trying to think, I, I, I thought it was in, in late adolescence, but when I realized I was diagnosed after having um, my five kids. So that must have been around my uh, early 30s. Uh, I am not entirely sure. And again, because this is, even though there's a, a before and after you get your diagnosis, uh, I have since then been so invested in trying to understand more about it and to try to make sure that not so many girls and women have to to struggle the way I had to do before I got this understanding and this diagnosis. So I would say around 30, 32 or something like that. Yeah, it's interesting. So you, you know, the fact that you've done so much career-wise alongside having five kids, I mean, that's the most ADHD thing ever, isn't it? Yeah, right. This overproductivity, um, Mm. just wanting to keep going, this this sort of internal drive. And then especially when we are doing something with such a a huge amount of purpose that can genuinely change people's lives, this motor keeps going. Have you ever hit that ADHD burnout that so many of us, you know, can relate to? Well, not really, because I think when I got this kind of understanding, I probably would have otherwise, but but I didn't because now I feel, first of all, I have a, a purpose with everything I do. And it's a purpose, uh, it's a calling that is so much bigger than just myself. And that I think it's, it's enormously important for us as humans to have that kind of feeling that we're contributing to something much bigger than than just ourselves. I think that's something that we often as Westerners also lack. And and, and that is part of also our feeling of, of burnout and, and sense of what's the big deal with, you know, even going out of bed. And I think that that can be even stronger for us with ADHD because we need this kind of this fire uh, burning all, all the time. And and. But then I think I, I'm fortunate because I'm also really, really good at, uh, I think, um, taking time uh, out of, of um, my, my schedule and, and focusing on the lifestyle factors that is important for me. So, so doing uh, like setting my routines. And once I got my diagnosis, I understood how extremely important that is for everyone, but for ADHD years, uh, especially to make sure that you have a proper diet, that you exercise on a regular basis and like in moderation, because before, again, before my diagnosis, I tended to do to overdo things. So I guess, hadn't I not had that uh, kind of explanatory model at that time, I am sure I would have hit that wall in some capacity or other, either uh, to train too much or perhaps disordered eating or perhaps, you know, the work-life balance thing or struggling, you know, with five kids. But I felt like this is a responsibility that I have towards myself and towards my family to make sure that I have my shit together when it comes to this, as I call the seven ADHD deadly sins, the diet and the exercise, the sleep, um, the emotional regulation, uh, the life structure, addictive behaviors, and like work-life balance and stress. These are like seven factors that I, I regularly, I, every day I check, where am I? 
it doesn't have to be perfect every day. It's not like like that. But I have to have some kind of sense of where I am on these factors. Then I, it seems like I'm doing well and that I can avoid burnout feeling that I, you know, all of us touch upon that. Yeah. Um, and that is, I mean, moving into the work that you're doing through Letter Life. And that is from what I understand of it. It's a tool to help more women who've been diagnosed or, or have an understanding of their ADHD to be more intentional in their daily life. Can you explain a little bit about the, the I guess, the purpose of Letter Life and what you hope to achieve with yeah, that? Definitely. And, and Letter Life is actually, it's joining forces between the, the research that we do, the, the, we, all the research that we do in our research group is, is what you call um, patient public involvement research. So it, it all comes from all the research questions and all the, the development that we do and, and the aims that we have is kind of, um, it comes from women with ADHD and it aims to tailor interventions for, for women with ADHD. So, and joining forces then with a group of really skilled like tech developers trying to harvest this kind of um, experience that we as female ADHD uh, ADHD have and, and try to get that into a tool that you can have in your pocket all the time. So, and, and um, I've worked... Uh, as a psychiatrist for what, like, oh, I'm so old now, 20 years, maybe. Uh, I've met so many women and, and, and many of them are also uh, in, in, in my book telling their stories um, about their ADHD experiences. I've met so many women and, and just listening to what they are saying, finding kind of the common thread in their, their stories and, and also and try to harvest that and put that into something. And then forcing my perfectly innocent companions on the tech developmental side to also do so, so many. I think they've done like 200 user interviews with females across the entire world, um, just trying to understand what, you know, they need. And what we came together with, the first kind of most important thing is that women feel abandoned. You feel abandoned by people that don't recognize and validate your ADHD and you feel abandoned by people trying to normalize what you're experiencing. It's like yeah, everyone thinks that is, you know, difficult or tough or everyone, you know, feels uh, sad when they get rejected. But trying to normalize that, uh, how well-meaning that uh, that may be, it, it, it makes you feel like, okay, so if I feel this strongly, if I can't make this work, then there is something really, really, you know, seriously wrong with me. So... And, and you feel abandoned by healthcare. You feel like you're left with, at best, if you get, you can force yourself through the system, you can get a diagnosis and then you get a prescription and then you're kind of on your own. So this kind of abandonment um, theme has been very, very central at the core of when we try to develop Letter Life. So basically what we what we want to do is, is pull uh, together all the good forces that is out there, all the, the good information, and also tailor like content to what is missing today. And then having the women fill out and track themselves on the seven deathly sins, on your, what we call the four 
central brain processes that may be working a little bit differently when you have ADHD. So we talk about the control tower of the airport, the frontal uh, lobe, the executive functioning, the organizing, planning, structuring, all that. Uh, you can be you can have strengths and weaknesses within that area. Also the the volume button. The, the regulating of energy levels, of activity levels, of appetite, of sleep, of emotions, everything, you know, that when you have ADHD, it's like it's impossible to get this moderation um, going over time, right? And then we have the, the flawed virus filter, the virus filter for the brain's hard drive, where everything, you know, all stimuli from your own body and from the world around you gets in there and just constantly requires process speed and, and attention, distracting you from, from, from other things. And then the, the gearbox, the, the, the shift of your brain where you get like stuck in toxic thoughts and toxic uh, loops of thinking and ruminating. And, and so, so it's so much harder to try something new when, when what you're doing is not no longer working. So there are four areas where we can see very clearly that um, the patients that we have interviewed can, can show how their ADHD impairs them in life. So, so we have that, those four. We have these seven uh, lifestyle factors, and everything, all of these, um, are are influenced by hormonal fluctuation. So that is what we have also located is missing because you get all this advice and you get the medical decision making from your healthcare professionals based on a male norm all the time. And then they wonder why the meds doesn't work for you or why, you know. Uh, the thing that went so smoothly two weeks ago now is less completely chaotic. And so, so all of these things, if you add the layer of the hormonal fluctuation on top of that, things become much more uh, predictable, actually. Uh, and that is uh, something that is, can be very calming for us at uh, ADHD, right? So like, like knowing being able to also like almost send messages to ourselves in the future. It's like, okay, so this is what usually happens during these kind of danger days or these, you know, um, PMS, PMDD days. Uh, I can expect that maybe I shouldn't plan things. So in Letter Life, we have this kind of, you have your own like medical journal, your own personalized uh, journal of how you are doing uh, on these four um, brain processes mm -hmm. on your seven deadly ADHD sins or lifestyle factors and on your hormonal um, cycle. Yeah. So it's kind of like a research tool for you guys. This is like an interactive, it's feedback yeah. from, you know, mm -hmm. the audience, but also then helping the women as well gain better awareness of how they can move forwards in life. Because, you know, as we know, ADHD is with us, you know, for the rest of our life. And, you know, we have these very vulnerable moments in our life as women and girls with the hormonal fluctuations where it's so much more prominent. And, you know, those, those um, vulnerable moments are, you know, puberty, um, mm -hmm. you know, pregnancy, post-childbirth, perimenopause, during menopause. And it can be so, and, and obviously every single month, you know, we could be suffering with PMDD and PMS. And, as you know, it's exhausting, absolutely exhausting. And I hear so much from my clients, from myself. I've got three daughters, um, and I'm seeing you know very prominently my eldest daughter right now. And it's so hard as a parent to see the hormonal fluctuations. 
combined with the defiance of the ADHD slash, te- slash teenagerhood, um, sometimes it's hard to sort of see, is that a defiant teenager? Is that an, a defiant ADHD person? Um, and trying to help with the lifestyle factors where teenagers typically don't want to be told what to do. Um, exactly. It's very hard. I'm just coming at it from all angles here. Yeah. but yeah. That's really interesting. Also, because I also have three t- teenage daughters, right? And you, you are. It was some someone said you're in the export uh, import business. You are constantly like uh, exchanging things. You want to uh, teach them stuff. You want them to take care of themselves, and they reject. Of course, they should find their own way in this. But but it's this kind of transaction going on all the time. And and what I thought with let the life is, I thought I, I remember so painfully how it was uh, to be a teenager myself, having parents telling you what to do. Also, not being diagnosed, so no one really understood why you know everything turned into such a mess all the time. So and then the pain of being reminded about stuff that you know that you should be able to manage yourself at this point and then you couldn't so so then lettered life is also a tool where you can remind yourself about that so so building um autonomy for teenagers as well because that is also how you develop self-awareness and you know self-efficacy to to realize things about yourself, about your brain, about your ADHD, and finding clever ways to to navigate in life, and that's that's why we call it the ADHD twenty four seven model because it's like you have your ADHD with you all the time. You can treat it with um, medication, and you can treat it with evidence based multimodal um, interventions, but it it will always be there. It will always be like a companion in your life so you you might as well you know find your own clever ways to navigate and and share with others yeah exactly what's interesting about the ADHD women I've been in touch with is that so many of them have been so resourceful exhaustingly resourceful over their lives of not understanding not knowing themselves as you say being abandoned by healthcare dismissed invalidated they've had all these dots that they've wanted to connect and everything has just gone to a dead end and they've had to come up with these clever hacks. Um, way before we were watching hacks on TikTok and you know YouTube, we had to instill these ways to 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 mm. find a way of living that doesn't feel as exhausting. And you know the research is only just beginning. So what you're hearing maybe as a clinician is so much anecdotal evidence. You could mm. probably build a whole thesis if it wasn't necessary yeah. to have to back it up with medical research. And I wish that maybe there was a way of, you know, being able to push forward. But unfortunately, it's all got to be backed up with hormonal, you know, research and evidence, doesn't it? And so we're on the back foot just trying to piece it all together. And, you know, thank God for you and the researchers and the the women and the the doctors and all the people that you work with. um, Because we've got something like Letter Life, we've got your book, because it comes with gravitas when it's coming from a psychiatrist and it comes with the research that you've been doing. How can we as women, this generation, us right now, who are where we are, we can't push forward medical, you know, research. What can we be doing right now to just be helping ourselves if we're just getting this realization of ADHD? That's a really good question. And and it's also so true what you're saying is that because you hear this anecdotal 
testimonies uh, all the time, right? As a clinician, I do it. Among my friends, I hear it all the time uh, with uh, other people that have ADHD. So uh, you almost think that this is kind of based in science or research because well, obviously, as ADHD women, we have more PMS, PMDD, or sorry. yes, that anecdotally we do probably, but is it really proven in in science anywhere? It's like really small, uh, like a preliminary results, nothing like at all in line with what you feel or think that we have. So we know about all these vulnerable periods uh, of, our fem- of the female reproductive life, but then we don't know very much about the science behind ADHD in these different vulnerable times. So it, it's really important, I think. And I also wish that we could like fast forward and just get the research out there. But uh, as I see it, the only way to, to do that and to get there is to do this public patient involvement research, just making sure that the women themselves are involved when we design the studies. Otherwise, I fear that we will just repeat what we have already done, uh, just trying to like get women into the studies as an alibi. Okay, so we need 50% women here. We need 50% women because otherwise we won't, you know, get our research grants or blah, blah, blah. But if we are truly committed to trying to understand the mechanisms behind female mental health, we need to acknowledge that when we include women in our studies, we also have to include the fact that we are biologically different from males. So, uh, for example, I am not aware of uh, particularly many studies that actually ask the women that they include in their studies where they are in their menstrual cycle, for example. And yet, we are supposed to then say something about depression, say something about um, anxiety, say something about blah, blah, blah. And yet we haven't really decided or established the hormonal status of this woman. So is, is she before or after puberty? Is she before or after menopause? Is she uh, taking any hormonal contraceptives? Or is she taking, you know, there are so many questions that has to be added yeah, we cannot cannot just like, okay, so we are satisfied now because 48% of the sample in this study are females. That is bullshit. We need to acknowledge what it means to be a biological female. So that is, first of all, and then what can we do? What can we do to get there? I think we can do this uh, PPI research where uh, the women in influence the research questions and the, the design uh, of the methodology. But then we, we also have to, we can't wait because research takes forever, trust me. So, so even though we are trying to do everything we can uh, all at the same time, it will take years before we have so solid evidence that we can actually rely on that for like treatment guidelines and stuff like that. So what can we do in the meantime? Because we cannot sit and wait for that. We cannot do that because you and I, we see we have daughters, we, we see life going on 24-7 uh, for so many for so many girls and women. And then I would hope that letter life would be kind of one piece of that puzzle, one part of the solution, because what we need to do until we have like data where we can generalize is that we have to make sure that we know how this is for me, how hormones affect me. 
my daughter or my patient. So we have to have some solid data on the individual to be able to make sound medical decisions. So for me as a psychiatrist, if someone comes into my office saying, I feel like this, or now uh, I have to acknowledge that, okay, first of all, ADHD, you can feel a lot of things right here, right now, doesn't necessarily uh, implicate that this is what's going on uh, in the rest of the three months uh, uh, until we meet next time. Still, I base a lot of my medical decisions on what that person says in that moment. And if you don't know anything about ADHD, the risk that your medical decision making becomes flawed is huge, right? Because this is how I feel right now. So there's a huge responsibility for you as a patient to tell uh, a story that can be comprehensive. And there's a huge uh, responsibility for me as a clinician also to make sure I have all the facts. And, and with Letter Life, then you can track yourself and you can see how your uh, symptoms, how your ADHD symptoms, how your ADHD profile, how your everyday function varies across the hormonal cycle or across different medication. When you titrate medication, you can see if you change the dose in certain periods of your uh, menstrual cycle, for example, does that influence how you feel and behave and how you work and how stressed you feel and how you sleep and how many times you actually go to the gym that month? So this is extremely important personalized information that I need as a medical doctor to make a sound decision or a shared decision making, uh, preferably together with my patients to make sure. And still, there's so few of us in the healthcare system today that actually ask women anything about their hormones, anything. And especially in psychiatry, it's like it's a completely different universe. It's like there's the, the, the brain and then there's the body. And those two shall never meet. So I, I think there's a lot of things that we can do. We should uh, be aware that we don't think that what we are doing is science <laughs> or that we, uh, we should be aware that the recommendations that I give as a clinician is valid for you because I have data on you this doesn't necessarily generalize to anyone else. And, and that's also a... Uh, responsibility, I think we have all of us to when we communicate about these things, be, you know, very specific about this is a theory that I have, or this works for me, it doesn't necessarily translate to anyone else. So, so that is also, and that is also something that we are trying to do in Letter Life, trying to build this community where we can share these stories and experiences with each other and, and learn from that. So just pool the kind of knowledge and experience that we have um, and, and um, collect that and then see what can we harvest from that. Yeah, I mean, it's fascinating. And what I would love to see is this sort of multidisciplinary way of working where psychiatrists work with gynecologists, with hormone experts, with endocrinologists, um, who understand the hormonal fluctuations, who understand women's health specifically throughout all the different periods of our life. It, there's so much intertwined. And like you say, the, the, the professionals who have a broader understanding of the interconnectedness of it are very few and far between. I probably, you know, on the podcast, spoken to only a couple who understand the impact of ADHD on hormones and women's health. You know, I still want to speak to a um, gynecologist who will certifiably say to me, 
I have seen more neurodivergent women with PMDD and endometriosis and PCOS than maybe neurotypical women. So we can get that validation because I've not had one client, one person that has said to me that they've had a clean bill of health when it comes to women's health issues or hormonal fluctuations. Um, not one, you know, not one of them said, oh yeah, all normal. Um, or they've had an issue well, with contraception. You need to talk to to my work wife, Helena Kopkalner. She's, you know, the, it's a really funny story. We started working together. We went to med school actually uh, at the same time and no, knew each other. But she went out to gynecology, and I went into to um, general medicine and and later on addiction medicine and and uh, psychiatry. And then we met for a lunch. I think it was like six seven years ago. I started talking about what we were doing and she was a bit depressed at the moment because she had she thought that she'd worked so for so long and she was doing a really good job but then there was a group of women that n- she never you know felt that she could help and they didn't listen to what she said they said that they didn't tolerate their uh, contraceptives they got pregnant when they were really young and she got really uh, you know worried about them because she said oh they feel that there's something missing in their life and now they're pregnant and they're like 17 and i i'm not i tried to not to be cynical but i just fear like this is not going to heal this you know, like baby having a baby at this point and and she said and they're like it's like they don't want to do the the things that is good for them. And, and even though I do all this thing and I, I go out uh, on a limb to help them, it's like they don't want my help. And, and they're so, so and she said, I think there's something wrong with them. You know, I think maybe they have like these personality disorders or something that you talk about. It's like, yeah, Helena, they might have personality disorder, but they might also have ADHD because they sound a lot like the women I meet in my clinic. And I've met so many women saying like, I can't stand, I uh, can't tolerate hormones, I can't tolerate contraceptives, I have to manage uh, contraceptive in, a, in some other way. And it turns out that's not a specifically good idea if you have ADHD. So it's like all of this, I saw I saw it from my perspective, she saw it from her perspective, and then we started talking. And then she said, you know, and they say that they get depressed by by hormonal contraceptive, and that's not true. Everyone knows that, you know, the, there's a lot of research, you know, and you don't get depressed from oral, oral hormonal contraceptives. And it's like, yeah, but they, my patients say that all the time, Helena. So there's there must be something in that. So, no, no, she said, <laughs> there's nothing. They, they're wrong. They're wrong. And then we started talking. And now, like almost 10 years after this, we have uh, posed all these research questions. And we have proved both her and me wrong in this. First of all, we we had, we, we just published a large study showing that, yes, uh, these women are right. They are, they are five times more likely to get depressed once they are prescribed uh, uh, oral hormonal contraceptive. Uh, and, and we just said, that's not the case. But we didn't look specifically on this subgroup. So there's, again, so empowering for like this um, uh, area of research that we can allow ourselves to uh, be wrong to listen to our patients, to, to listen what, to what they're saying, put their assumptions to the test and see that they were actually right. And we were wrong and we have to learn. And, and then now working together in this kind of um, cross-professional uh, collaboration that we have with the, uh, so I learned so much from um, Helena about hormones and about contraceptives. And um, I can actually, where I have some patients where 
you know, my medication, my medication, uh, ADHD medication just does not work. And I send them to Eliana and she kind of tailors some something with the hormonal um, medication as well. And we get there. So a little bit from my perspective, a little bit from her perspective, and we get there. And not, uh, none of us would have succeeded or would have been able to help this woman uh, just from the psychiatric or just from the gynecology yeah. perspective. This is so music this is my ears. Extremely, uh, this is extremely rewarding also as a clinician to work in this capacity and to see that, you know, you are allowed to listen to your patients they are the experts here. And then um, we learn from that and we bring uh, what we have to the table. Uh, Helena, about hormones and about reproductive health. And I can bring um, about the ADHD brain and about central stimulant medication and, and all that. So we bring what we have to the table and then we see uh, where we end up. That is precision medicine. Yeah. That is precision health, precision medicine. And this is exactly where we are, where we should be heading. Yeah, uh, and I think like female well. ADHD might be yeah, female ADHD might be the perfect pilot case um, because there are so many individual um, uh, you know like factors that we have to factor in to our decision making to uh, you know steer right. Yeah, see that what fascinates me in this whole subject is that I've been scrabbling together as much. Um, uh, evidence and information as possible um, from a personal perspective. Um, generationally, there's there's huge amounts of undiagnosed ADHD in my family through the through the generations where I see the hormonal issues, the gynecological issues, the depression, the impulsive behaviour, the the addiction. It's all there in my past. And, you know, from a spiritual universal perspective, I feel like my purpose, what gets me up every morning, which helps me with my ADHD, is I want this to be better for the next generation. And that's what gets me up every single morning. And that's why I created the ADHD hormone series, which, you know, I literally just thought we need more information and we're not getting it from, you know, lots of professionals. So I just went out and spoke to as many different specialists as possible. We've got about 40 now in the series and hopefully giving individual, um, bits of information for, for people, whether it's menstrual cycle tr tracking, nutrition, lifestyle, hormone replacement. I've tried to just piece it together in different workshops because this is a bigger, this is a much bigger picture here. This is for women to go in and advocate for themselves when they go into their doctor, their GP, who may not be in any way interested or specialized in this area. And they can say, I have listened to this and they've written notes and they can say, I need this help. Oh, I need you to understand that I can't take this type of contraceptive. I was dismissed with my coil. I was told the marina coil would be absolutely fine and I wouldn't have any issues. I begged them three months later to remove it because I was in the worst depressive cycle I've ever been in. I was just shocked. And I, when I asked them to remove it, I was belittled and almost kind of ridiculed saying, I've never had this before. Why, why are you feeling like this? No one ever reacts like this. And I, I said, I need you to take this out because it's, it's not good for me. It's not good for my family. Um, so I just want to be able to empower more women. So yeah. they can advocate them for themselves. And yeah. We have the exact same, I think we have the exact same mission. And and, and there's so uh, reassuring to hear that there are like, uh, there are more of us out there to, to, have, to have this focus because there's also, uh, unfortunately, a lot of 
shit are a lot of uh, like uh, very questionable uh, things out there uh, because when the science um, base is so limited, it opens up for a lot of people that, you know, doesn't really know what they are talking about and that actually may have questionable motives um, for. Um, so we are kind of vulnerable, right, to to that when the when the um, uh, science base is is so weak. So I think it's really important to try to collect the good information, um, the personal stories, the like the the theoretical uh, rationale behind what we are feeling and and I and I think also the more of us that can tell these stories that you tell about the the coil because that is something that I hear all the time as well right and it would be so easy uh, for me to just dismiss that and say well you you know you cannot feel that there is like microscopic um levels of this or that hormones uh but i have actually at this time have made me humble to uh, the amount of uh women that actually testify that this is the case and that they are uh, truly affected by that and what we see in our research and what is kind of the our working hypothesis at the moment is it is that it is not the hormone or the hormone level per se but the fluctuation that is it is the um it is during the periods where hormone levels are uh, fluctuating increasing or changing that we are the most vulnerable and that it seems to be the case when it comes to hormonal treatment as well to try to find the optimal uh, dose and the optimal uh, like hormone um, um, label for you but but also to keep it then uh, as stable as possible to be very very cautious to take for example your oral hormone hormone contraceptives at the same approximately at the same time every day just to, to uh, optimize um, the stability um, of your hormones yeah and that, I think that's when being ADHD informed, understanding the mood regulation, the emotional, you know, all of that and the impulsivity, yeah. the where our energy levels are, you know, so many of us are very um, good in the morning, you know, like sort of late morning till early, you know, afternoon. And then it tails off all these different little nuances yeah. are so powerful. That's also why you need to know your ADHD brain and your ADHD profile, right? Mm. Because if you have a profile of, um, as a psychiatrist, you often see that if you have a lot of anxiety uh, as comorbidity or as part of your ADHD profile, that is can be somehow protective against the worst impulsivity. Thing, right because you are anxious that things are going to be happening me. to you or you're thinking a lot of catastrophic thoughts uh, in advance and then you tend to get it's very painful and you you may struggle and suffer a lot but it it kind of uh protects you against the things that that can be very impulsive so if you have that kind of adhd then actually the period around ovulation where estrogen levels are peaking can be the worst for you um because 
then you uh, or it can be sorry it can be better for you because then uh, you have this kind of lift of you of the mood and and uh, the thing by the estrogen and then you suffer really 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 uh during the pmds pm pms uh but if you if you don't have this anxiety trait then you might be susceptible for for impulsivity and then you might be susceptible just around ovulation because then the estrogen level kind of uh can reinforce um the impulsivity that can be perceived as kind of a um done in a positive uh like in a positive manner so it is like oh yeah i feel like you know going out seeing people i feel like doing this i feel like buying this i feel like driving really fast in my car it's like yay so that part of adhd can be really really you know increased and be very um dangerous for you right so if if that kind of positive um um positively driven impulsivity increases around ovulation because estrogen levels are high and then you uh, also add uh, on to that by you know uh your your ADHD medication that might also um work more effectively during that time and and further trigger actually the impulsivity if if the levels get too high then that can be the worst part of your month uh so so you you have to kind of break it down to okay there are the hormonal fluctuations so there are are different part of the hormonal cycle but then there is the the individual ADHD profile the, so so it's not like all women with ADHD have the worst you know consequences of their ADHD and their hormonal suffering during PMS PMDS for for some people it is the the increased impulsivity uh around ovulation that actually you know makes so much uh like ripple have some so many ripple effects that you have to kind of uh sort out the mess that you create during one or two days when you are extremely impulsive yeah. um and that takes the rest of the month to kind of mend and sort that out yeah i mean that's so beautifully described and like you say it's you can relate to it in so many different ways and um but i know also um from a psychiatric perspective if you do really struggle with the pmdd alongside the um adhd medication it's possible to take I'm just asking, um, antidepressants or anti-anxiety medication just for that last two months to sort of bolster ourselves. Is that something that you help women with as well? Yeah. So that that kind of strategy we've we've used for a long time for PMS, PMDD, PM, PMDS, uh, to just use like cyclic SSRI treatment, 10 days um, before your your you have your period to to just um even out or to to um 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 reduce the anxiety and, and depressive symptoms during PMS. Um, so, so that is something that you can use. But I, I think it's really important to try to disentangle if what you are experiencing is a distinct comorbidity. So is this PMS, PMDS? Is this distinct anxiety? Is, is it an anxiety disorder? Is it a, a, a depressive disorder? Because then you probably also need some kind of, of treatment for that distinct comorbid condition. Uh, it is not certain that the ADHD medication then will help. Just moving forwards now, Lotta, how can um, 
I mean, can people access your work? I mean, obviously you've written this amazing book. You've got Letter Life. Is that your help for the masses or are you open to having um, new patients? And or is that kind of, you know, not quite where you want to be now? Yeah, um, not at the moment. I think I have to just, you know, um, uh, again, be very uh, self-aware of uh, my... Um, um and myself and and my, yeah, exactly and also my you know i have a my my default mode would be like yes yes because it's so much fun and 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 i really really miss seeing patients at the moment because but i don't do that this year because i would like to give uh, everything uh, and my best to to try to develop letter life and see if it's possible to build something that can be the thing that I would have liked to have, like my uh, doctor, nurse, coach, friend in my pocket. <laughs> so my ADHD body, my ADHD coach, my ADHD uh, library, um, and to try to build that together with my patients. But then hopefully I will be open to see see patients again. Uh, once uh, letter life, you know, can take on uh, a life of its own. Fantastic. Well, I just want to thank you on behalf of like all the ADHD women and girls and the community because we need the clinicians like you. We need the medical professionals to be there who understand and validate and are moving that needle and um, ensuring that this next generation get more help and more support. And um, yeah, I just want to. I just want to be able to visualize a future where we have this multidisciplinary team of people who are ADHD informed, understanding, compassionate. And we can be patient-led and interact with each other and hopefully not have to hit walls um, each time and start from scratch every time we see, you know, a gynecologist or a um, physio um, or a nutritionist where we have to kind of, it's exhausting. So, you know, hopefully, fingers crossed in the future, there'll be um, a lot more support out there. But I know this conversation will help a lot of people. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for, for everything that you're doing as well. So that is extremely empowering um, for, for um, me as a person and also as a clinician. So it, it helps a lot for me as a clinician to listen into your podcast and to listen to all the stories and all the, you know, the real life experience. That's extremely important. Well, thank you so much. And I'll put all the information, Letter Life, the book, everything that you're doing, I'll put it all in the show notes so people have got it. Thank you. Thank you. So much. I really hope you enjoyed this week's episode. If you did and it resonated with you, I would absolutely love it if you could share on your platforms or maybe leave a review and a rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please do check out my website, adhdwomenswellbeing.co.uk for lots of free resources and paid for workshops. I'm uploading new things all the time and I would absolutely love to see you there. Take care and see you for the next episode.